Learning the rules and navigating change as part of any gameplay. One D&D promises to build on the rules we know while expanding the game into something we can continue to play and enjoy. We've got a 21-page document in hand, and we're ready to dive into the new Unearthed Arcana and talk about how you can implement new rules into your game. Without upending your entire story. Hey! I'm your host, Sarah, and... I'm your other host, Morgan. We're two sisters... By marriage. ...who love to talk about stories... From writing fiction and creating elaborate plot lines in D&D. To learning and playtesting 1D&D. We're out, out of, of initiative. initiative. More robust characters with an in-depth backgrounds, new races, new feats. It's a lot. And this is just the character creation. Let's talk about 1D&D, the rules we've seen so far, and what this means for our existing campaigns. So by the time you're listening to this... One D&D has been announced. Um, it's been over a week because we are a bi-weekly podcast because, listen, I've got a job, okay? Um, and we've been looking through the document and I, I feel like I have a lot of thoughts and also a lot of, like, uh, change management Googling <laughs> to do. <laughs> How are you feeling, Sarah, as you just sort of, like, look over it so far from what we've seen and, like, the takes we've seen so far? Because I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions and there have been a lot of, like, interviews and discussions already within the Wizards of the Coast staff. So just, like, off the cuff, how are you feeling about it? Well, to be clear, so the document that re you're referring to is the one D&D &D on D&D Beyond. When you go the to the very first... material. The yeah. playtest material. You go to the very first page. I know we've had... I've um, on our TikTok, there's some people commenting, like, where do I find this? Where do I get this material? So it's on D&D Beyond at the very front. Um, you can't miss it. It's a big, bold banner. And it says playtest material. And you can just download the PDF. It is 21 pages. And it is character origins. Um, and yeah, since we had a few days to look at this, uh, there is quite a bit. My first, my first impression is a lot of it feels the same and familiar. A lot of it feels like... Uh, material that I've we've been using this whole time there are notable and subtle differences kind of sprinkled throughout and I think you need to read it critically because there are a few spots where they have made some pretty drastic changes for the most part I feel good changes I know there's been a lot of um contested uh disagreements all over Twitter, Reddit, that kind of thing. But I feel like the majority of it I am satisfied with. And I think they are to strengthen the enjoyment of gameplay and allow uh, players to have a little bit more versatility with their characters, a little bit more control of their characters, plus way more customization, which I think is a big draw and a big appeal for D&D is you can customize your character I mean, till you're blue in the face. Like, seriously, it's it's amazing. So um, I feel that's definitely that the direction. Genasi joke? Yeah. Yep. I just like sliding those in once in a while. <laughs> you know, D&D jokes when we can. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's my first initial take. A lot of it felt the same. I was nervous going into reading this. I was like, okay, where, where, what are we do? Are they completely rebuilding this? And they're not. 
there's a lot that's the same and it's familiar, but then there's little stuff kind of sprinkled in, which we can definitely get to later. Uh, how about you? What were your initial thoughts? Yeah, I uh, tuned into the announcement a little late because uh, I was uh, had just gotten off a call at work and then the announcement came on and I like flipped it on. I was like, oh, I want to hear it. Uh, and then ended up rewatching it later. I just missed a little tiny bit. But when they started talking about new rules, I was like, no, I don't want a new edition. I don't want to have to learn a whole new rule set and throw out all these books that I've already purchased. Like I we waited until fifth edition to really like start to sink into this. And I I just like. I wasn't prepared for it. And then kind of they start talking about it and explaining it. And then the more we dug into it, it was like, oh, I see that they're really trying to build on what's already here. The additions through the years have really swung from trying to be simplified enough that any lay person could pick it up and like learn a game. Like anyone could walk in off the street and play a game tonight. Uh, and then they kind of swung the other direction and it got really complicated. I mean, like the older editions in particular really complicated a lot of rules a lot of confusing like it, it's confusing as a gm because like i don't have everything memorized in the book and it's especially confusing as a player because you come in and you're like oh they promised me i could do these big grand things and fight a dragon and then wait what do you mean it's what, what's this range why is everything limited it feels like i just keep running up against a wall everywhere i go so i like the simplification it does feel like the new uh ua it really feels like they're trying to simplify a lot of pieces that we were really struggling with. Um, and it's nice to see the game design built around, like, where do we know players are struggling? So the interview that Jeremy Crawford did with Todd Kenrick from Wizards of the Coast, uh, they talked a lot about um, addressing certain, like, specific pain points. And that was where they were coming from with this UA. And one of the things they mentioned that I, I really resonated with me as a GM is uh, inspiration. So it's inspiration is the onus is always on the gm um it's always up to the dm to say oh what a great feat of accomplishment you've done so great here's a point of inspiration or um you made me laugh here's a point of inspiration it's just it's like really vague it's really esoteric um and it's a struggle as a person running a game because like i'm kind of doing some other stuff like i don't know if you noticed but i have some other tabs open right now i'm a little busy do you think that we could make something a little more hard and fast that fits for this uh so they really addressed like you know how to give people inspiration uh in other ways so that it's not only on the dm to make that decision and then also how to really incentivize the players to use it so one of the big changes is uh, also something that I'm going to home rule, like just right out of the gate. Like I can already like from a mile away. I'm like, no, I'm going to I'm going to change this, uh, which is that at the beginning of a long rest, um, if you have a point of inspiration at the beginning of a long rest, it goes away. It resets. Yes. Yes. Yep. I read that. And I I think it should last until the end of a long rest, because if something happens while you're on your long rest, you should be able to use your inspiration. It shouldn't be that you can never have inspiration during a long rest encounter. Of note, the UA also says that uh, any combat that happens during mm -hmm. a long rest breaks your long rest. Um, yeah. I don't like that. Back to the inspiration. We've had whole yeah. discussions about this. And I've told you, I don't know if it was in a podcast or in private, but as a DM, when I'm uh, on the other side of the table, I feel like I don't give enough inspiration. And we've watched um, we go Abria, years getting it out. Abria yeah. who gives inspiration constantly, right? Love it. Yeah. And so, and I've struggled with that because as you said, you're so busy. You're trying to do a map or you're trying to feel, you know, whatever. And 
it, it's hard. And so having it built in is just kind of an, like every time it was a natural 20, right? Every time they get a natural 20, they get inspiration. Yeah. And then at, when they go to a long rest, then it goes away. Now, I I like your idea of extending it through the long rest, but I like, I hate saying this, but I like the idea of it going away because yeah. we've discussed, I know personally, I've had inspiration for six, seven, eight months and never used it. And mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Like there, you should be using these. And I know other players do the same. They either forget that they have it or they just, they just don't use, they want to save it. Right. Yeah. And doing this would definitely encourage them. First of all, they, they'd get it more, they'd get it more. Yeah. And then they would encourage them to use it. And I feel that would just be better gameplay all around. And if they fail those really important checks, you know, as a GM, right. If they're investigating something and they really need to know they can, they'll be more uh, incentivized to use it. Cause they know they'll get more, you know, down the road and they'll get those checks and they'll, you know, move your story along and everything. I think that something that it uh, kind of ties back to for me, and I think I'm going to make this comparison a bunch today is Baldur's Gate, uh, Baldur's Gate 3, you have you can get inspiration from certain events. I mean, there's like a limited number that you can get. Um, you can get inspiration, but it's stockpiles. And that's kind mm-hmm. of fun because then when I go to use inspiration, if I have a couple, I think I'm more likely to expend that resource. And there will always be players who try to stockpile. Um, I think video games taught us that. And like, you know, you finish Skyrim with like 100 wheels of cheese and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I got a problem. Um, you've never experienced this, right? Of course no, not. No, I haven't gotten into Skyrim. I need to. I need to. I've actually never gotten into Skyrim either. That's really funny. I just assumed <laughs> that you would. Uh, I ended up playing the Fallout franchise instead. and uh, But the same deal, like you, uh, you like finished the game with like, I had like, you know, 200 Nuka-Colas and like I was only ever drinking them when I needed caps, which is like yeah. awful. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there will always be hoarder players, right? But more importantly, by having inspiration that, you know, moving back to D&D away from Baldur's Gate 3, inspiration that the players can get more readily, like if a team member has the musician feat and they play music and they give away, you know, a number of uh, their proficiency bonus uh, points of inspiration to their party. Amazing, wonderful. Everyone's got an inspiration and you get another inspiration. You can give it to somebody else if you've already got one. Yeah. Uh, really that like free flowing um, collaboration. It, like I think it'll really fuel collaboration. And then you go to long rest and the point expires and great. That means the player is truly incentivized to spend it. Like you're saying, I, I think that that's great i think we shouldn't really be sitting on them for months and months at a time if it's a if it's a resource we're not using i think that jeremy crawford said this if it's a resource the players aren't using then it's not useful it's not worth it we should pull it from the game like why would we have a an element to the game that no one's using uh which i think is a really interesting point i mean i think it's correct uh and uh yeah so but i want to talk about long rest a little bit more yeah 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 Combat in the middle of a long rest, I think, is something that comes up a lot in our games, for sure. Um, and when I think about like adventurers moving through the woods uh, or you know through the plains, and you know that there are threats, whether it's wildlife or someone pursuing you, or you know just bandits who happen to stumble across you, um, I feel like the nighttime we take our watches and we have our perception checks and we, you know, see if we can stay quiet enough to like avoid being caught and having an interaction. Combat encounters are built into modules like curse of Strahd or Icepire or all that they're built into modules, random encounters, especially at night are built in. 
So it's not always going to happen, but it's going to happen. So anyways, continue. No, no, no. You're, yeah. right, you're right. And yeah. it, they will come up. And I think... This I I think this is still really new to me, right? So I'm still trying to like wrap my head around like, do I like this better? Do I think I would use this rule set, uh, that specific element of this rule set? And I think something that uh, you could think about is how does combat forcing a restart of a long rest impact the way the players interact with threats? Uh, so for instance, it, you know the person who's on watch uh, sees a threat coming and might do something to distract the threat to keep the party out of harm's way or you might end up with one martyr character who decides to take the whole combat on on their own so that the rest of the party can finish their long rest uh maybe they will you know maybe the players will spend more time finding safer places to camp overnight um safer places to take those long rests and we'll stop doing them in the middle of a temple like <laughs> yeah yeah so it, it might prompt better behavior out of the party which is great we do like that and i think it'll be there's a learning curve to that as a as a dm because if my default is you know the players you know i i i balanced an encounter on the fly uh because the players rolled a ton of natural 20s they did so great and they beat that double deadly encounter without breaking a sweat and they have all these resources left and i really want to challenge them throwing an encounter at the party in the middle of a, re a long rest, um, I think it's a way that I like to do that. That is something that I lean on a lot, and maybe that's a shortcoming of mine. But also, it's certainly the way that I run my game. So now it's I don't like, all right, you over you you don't overdo you don't, it. Though. You don't think I, I over-index on those? No, and I, you know, in going into having encounters at night, that's why we take watches. There is that constant threat, that stress. While someone is sleeping, I, I like the tension. I like it. And just every night camping in the middle of the forest, it's fine the next day. Like that's, that's going to get pretty dull pretty quick. So that's I true. think, you know, I think having a random encounter, but it doesn't, as you were saying, whoever's on watch, they might interact with it differently. It might not necessarily be a threat. It just might be an encounter that they can deal with without, was it specifically, it says casting a spell, initiating combat. And then what was the other, there was like three things that would break your long rest. Casting a spell, an hour of walking, combat, or civil, similar activity. There we go. Rest confers no benefit and must be restarted. So, Although the important addition here is if the rest was at least one hour long before the interruption, you did gain the benefits of a short rest. So yes. that's super valuable. Which is great. So just play Warlock and you're fine. You'd be fine. <laughs> I, I will say short rest Classes that benefit from a short rest um, definitely get underpowered when the party has one, you know, encou combat encounter per day or even just one encounter per day. And then we take our long rest. Then why yeah. wouldn't I be a full caster? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I be something that has, you know, a sorcerer and all my sorceries uh, spell points reset on the long rest and my spell slots reset on the long rest and I can meta magic all I want. Like, why wouldn't I just go? Well, but now if we're talking about short rests are more important, all of a sudden our fighters are looking really good with that second win mm -hmm. and warlocks, mm -hmm. uh, you know, classes that really benefit from that short rest are, are going to be stronger. We're going to, it's going to be easier to over index on them or, or, you know, try to match that uh, because they've got that versatility. They've got the utility and, 
that's great. Like that's that I think that makes them more fun. Like having classes when their class features get to be used, uh, you know, more often and they get to be the hero. Like that's awesome. That's so fun. And that that you know brings us to the alert feat. Did you read about that too? So where you have advantage on initiatives. Now, whatever your initiative role is with the new update, um, you can exchange it for someone else. And which I find amazing because there are times where it's like, oh, if this person had just gone first, they could have done banishment or they could have done studying strike if they're your monk. And they could have just shifted the whole combat encounter if they had just been higher up on the initiative rolls. So that just adds also with alert. Um, I don't know if you've had any characters with alert before. Have you? Have you played any? No, I think that I've always ended up with like a uh, like a weapon of warning or something. The similar Fen and yeah. Arena had a weapon of warning between the two yeah. of them when yeah. we played. So it gives you a plus five to your initiative, but this way you can kind of share the love with the party and everyone, you know, you get a chance to kind of benefit everybody instead of just being kind of a solo feat. It's more of a shared feat, which I think will incentivize a lot more players to take it. So they've shifted it now. Instead of being a plus five to alert, it's now you add your proficiency bonus. Well, now I better look it up because what if I'm wrong about the old feat? I felt like pretty sure about it. I'm pretty sure it's plus five. I think it's a plus five. It is a plus five to initiative. Can't be surprised. No advantage on hidden attackers. There we go. Great. Wonderful. And now instead of adding plus five, you're adding just your proficiency bonus, which is cool. I love adding your Mm -hmm. proficiency bonus. We talked about this with Logan a little bit. I think that anything that scales with your proficiency bonus is so cool because it's naturally going to scale no matter how much you multi-class, no matter how much you shift your character around as you continue to progress, your proficiency bonus increases. Yeah. I think that's great. I, I do like that too. So it scales as you level up. Yeah. Which is always very nice. Yeah. And I just think it's, like kind of actually an underused way to scale things uh especially when i think about like my own homebrew like that's just such an easy way for something to continue to grow with the player without Mm -hmm. um without having to like really like get into the nitty-gritty and like reassess the item over and over again you know if you're talking like an item or a feat or something but i want to talk about the feats you said alert and i i'm obsessed with the musician feat Yes. I also love that Lucky stuck around. Um, I'm a big fan of Lucky and the fact that they tied it to the uh, sample background of the urchin uh, is my favorite because that's always how I use that feat is that like street smart kid who got really lucky and ended up in this adventuring group. Like that's that's one of my favorite character tropes for me to play that like found family. Um, see, now I'm getting too revealing about myself. I think that this is like, I think a therapist is going to have some opinions on this, but, uh, and then, you know, lucky then becomes like, like Aladdin, right? You were in the right place mm-hmm. at the right time and mm-hmm. you just managed to avoid the swipe. Uh, and I think that that is a more powerful way for lucky uh, to come into, come into effect as opposed to necessarily just like, Oh, um, well, I don't like failing, so I like to use Lucky to re-roll. And also, I re-rolled a lot of ones uh, and had more ones. Um, but the other thing that comes out of feet, that feats that I really like is uh, this addition of level gating the feats. Because we get these first level feats that don't give any stat bonuses. Um, so these players are going to be more inclined to pick a background and a feat that actually tells the character's story instead yes. of trying to maximize yeah. our stats, which is fine you know some of us like to maximize our stats and it doesn't necessarily make us min maxers but 
also we don't need any more gnome wizards there are other there are other things can, <laughs> there are other races that can play wizards <laughs> whenever you get a feat if you can incorporate it into your backstory how your character either came to start with it or developed it as they're adventuring i think it's just amazing it's just it's just goals if you can do that yeah, so yeah. I think that th- those feats are going to make way more, like, way richer character backgrounds. And then the other thing that it, that they've done with along, you know, alongside this is moving your stat bonuses into your background instead of connecting them to their race. So then the race can be just like, what do you actually get from your race uh, versus the stats which are like what are you good at you know are you naturally strong and that's why you became a soldier and that's why you you know wield these heavier weapons like what's that progression of your character's life uh and background that leads them to this moment at the beginning of an adventuring party uh, at the beginning of a story and i think that that this just makes more sense to me i think it's just more logical there's been a lot of discussion um all over since um, this was released Twitter. I've seen Reddit. I've seen uh, just kind of overall overall discussions about what some of the changes there. Pro- now, these are just proposed changes. It's Again, still playtest. It's still under Nothing is set in stone until, you know, they're going to want feedback. Uh, they said two, this will be out two weeks and then we'll have a survey to do feedback. Well, September and then I think- 1st is when they're doing the first round. Start collecting feedback. Yeah, so I think it's great that people have opinions. That's wonderful. That's what they want. Sure, yeah. Uh, so some of the um, discourse I've seen is the rolling a natural 20. Uh, it says, this is from the PDF, automatically succeeds regardless of any modifiers to the roll. And a lot of people have been like, no, you can't be you know, a wizard and, and lift you know, an elephant, no matter if you roll a natural 20, like you can't. And then the discussion is saying, well, that might, that's one opinion, but the other one could be maybe the wizard uses some sort of magic or they just know because they're very smart that if they use the right leverage or if they use some sort of technique, uh, they can succeed. And so there's been a lot of back and forth about, um, the natural 20 being no matter what they succeed. And I think they're going to have to fix that wording or they're going to have to come out with some more clarification because that's, that's verbatim what it says. Yeah. Um, it does say further down rolling in a nat- or rolling a 20 doesn't bypass limitations on the test, such as range and line of sight. The 20 bypasses only bonuses and penalties to the roll. So I, I kind of I understand what they're trying to say, but I think they're going to need to really rephrase that that section because it is a lot of people are they they don't like that they don't like that at all. Um, so that was one discussion that's happening. You already spoke about the character backgrounds, character origins, which is what Unearthed Arcana primarily is is character origins. So there's going to be a lot of discussion um, about the different lineages and the different you know, abilities and strengths and that kind of thing. I liked a lot of what I read, um, giving a lot more flexibility to each uh, race. And I, I, I liked it. I liked a lot of it. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see what people, how they respond uh, when they actually do the playtesting 
and do the surveys, how much of it they keep, how much of it they keep adjusting, um, which brings us back to, you know, why they're doing this in the first place. Why they release this in the first place is to adapt and change and listen to player feedback. And I feel that the first time this is this is monumental for D&D because for the first time we have, well, we have D&D Beyond, but there's a lot of us playing online. A lot of our tools are online. There is social media that discusses it. There are streamed, you know, D&D games on YouTube. It is so accessible uh, to see different types of gameplay, to see how people are using different tools or modules or uh, experiences. And having that is allowing the creators to get this kind of feedback that they could not have got 10 years ago, 15, like they could not, they could not have done this. They could, I mean, postcards people fill out or email surveys, I suppose, like it would not be the same as this active ongoing feedback where they can implement change, release, implement, like it's unprecedented. There's never been a time like this yeah. um, in D&D history. Uh, totally true and that's a really good point i want to come back to the like natural 20 auto success yeah thought though yeah because i guess i hadn't considered it because we play with a pretty good group mm-hmm. and i don't see a lot of people trying to abuse that mm-hmm. um but i think that you're gonna we're gonna automatically run into challenges with players doing things like pickpocketing other players which we know happens both in groups where there's a lot of consent and a lot of trust and in groups where there isn't that and it becomes Mm -hmm. more problematic Mm -hmm. um but in groups where there's a lot of trust a natural 20 automatically succeeding to say pickpocket something out of a bag of holding that uh you know the cleric has under his breastplate while he's taking a nap like it it is like not logical i did allow it in that specific instance of course but then in retrospect kyle i take it back in retrospect i shouldn't have allowed it um (laughs) gm hindsight is always gm hindsight is always 2020 yeah um and natural 20 (laughs) it's always natural 20 that's so much better why didn't i think of that the first place it's right there it's right it's right there and i think we see like the that like um one shot questers i think is what they're called on tiktok uh they there's always that like running joke of like oh i rolled a seduce the dragon and then roll a natural 20 and it's just like there's definitely a, a question of like within the realms of reality within the realms of like reality is kind of dramatic here right we're playing yeah. a fantasy game yeah. but like within the realm of like what makes sense and the player needs to think about the consequences and i think that when you're talking about a player making a role to succeed or fail a check that's at the dm's prompting so it's gonna need it's gonna put a little bit more weight back onto the dm shoulders to say if it's a check that you don't want this player to succeed as in i don't want to rp this i don't think that's realistic or i disagree with this like absolutely a hard line for me you're not allowing the player to make that role Sometimes they'll make they're gonna roll their dice and say, "Well, it's a twenty-five for persuasion." And you're like, "It doesn't matter. I didn't prompt the roll. It did. It, so it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You've made a check to yourself." Uh, so there's gonna be kind of a little bit of that, um, like s- that sort of discourse, that like back and forth. I think, but I I agree. I think that we could have a little bit more uh, fine tuning on that language to make it something that's applicable, especially to like a less assertive GM, right? Like a newer or, uh, you know, 
less ready to put their foot down in the middle of a session kind of DM is going to need those rules to fall back on a little bit when the party tries to like get into shenanigans. Yes, for sure. For sure. Any way to support the GM to have a little bit more clear clarity about where the limits are, because again, if, if someone is trying to say their dragon is trying to eat them and they're trying to convince them not to, and they roll really high in persuasion you as the GM need to decide, okay, so what does that mean? Is is the dragon really not going to eat them? Or maybe the dragon is considering it and they have a little leeway to run away or something, not a full success, but a, mm-hmm. a limited, a limited success on the GM's discretion. Uh, but I, I think you're right. You're going to have players kind of push that. There is what we do. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it is. So, but if a natural 20, and we've discussed this, I believe, running higher level campaigns, uh, higher level parties, sorry. Uh, you know, some of those DCs are 25, 28, 30 skill checks. Mm-hmm. So you're you're above natural 20 at that point. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think they need to they need to clarify that a little bit more. Uh, because again, it just said that the that I, I think they can, they need a discuss that more and because so much of dnd is based around the d20 they need to really have some defined rules so the gms have that assurance when they're trying to run a game they did make one other change when we talk about rolling a d20 uh that i i do quite like which is they called it d20 test a term that encompasses um all three of the main d20 rules which is an ability check an attack roll or a saving throw and i think i i'm really excited that they're moving toward this language uh because this is an opportunity for us to say a clearer broad rule for instance uh you know we say you'll make an attack roll which is a d20 test therefore anything that benefits a d20 test can benefit your attack role uh so when we when we lump everything together into a broader umbrella like that for instance something like maybe bless which currently impacts your attack rolls and saving throws but not ability checks which like i've always felt is a disconnect yeah um yeah because that is like, frustrating as a cleric i've run into that yeah, yeah. for sure yeah because you put you use this divine magic to try to benefit your party and you're like yeah it only applies to two of the three major role types so mm-hmm. it actually isn't going to help you here but i did my best so now if we say oh bless affects any d20 test cool that's so much easier mm-hmm. uh now we're asking a binary question yes no is this a d20 test or not therefore you can or cannot use bless and then it gives us the opportunity to kind of carve out niches when something is more specific more specific so the critical hits uh discussion i think is the critical hits discussion i think is one that's going to be a huge part of this so the uh, natural 20 on an attack roll is a critical hit and you'll double your weapon attack dice yeah okay, so just those d8s yes a couple things one i think this leaves a lot of room for a feat that specifically allows spellcasters to crit spell attacks um a and b there was a huge disparity especially as you start to get a little higher level there's a huge disparity between a critical hit with a long sword 
uh, and a critical hit with like inflict wounds at fifth level, right? Like yeah. the amount of damage that we're doing, yeah. you know, your guiding bowl is all of a sudden you're like, how many D10 and you're doubling it Yeah. Uh, versus mm, here's my D8, here's my D10. Like, yeah. wow, I hit really hard. 20 is really different than 60 max damage. So I think this levels the playing field a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know Reddit loves to hate on spellcasters and they're too strong. Like, I think it's fun and I roll a lot of ones. So, but I also think strength is a dump stat and like maybe I'm <laughs> actively balancing my characters and that, and you know, anyway, that's not the important part. The important part here is that leaves room to carve out specific rules. For instance, uh, you know, feet that might allow critting on spell attack rolls. Um, we might see that the rogue's sneak attack now specifically says on a critical hit, the sneak attack is also doubled. Like, right, we might see those languages. So instead of saying, uh, you hear the instances when sneak when a critical hit doubles the dice. Instead, we say a critical hit doubles the dice on all of these things that fall under this umbrella. And now we can carve out the niches where it's more relevant to have um, a little bit more information. And then I think that's one fewer tweet to Jeremy Crawford that says, wait, do sneak attack dice double on a critical hit? Because I think if he has to answer that question one more time, he might quit. He might quit. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's in it for the long game. We know he's in it for the long game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That uh, that's a whole that's a whole discussion that they they really need to clarify. Um, I, I like that. I like your point. So you're a GM. You've been running fifth edition for how many years now? Campaigns three. A consistent three. campaign, three years. So it was my first time DMing. Um, been playing for more than that. We, we've talked about this a little bit, but like consistent every week, about three years now. So as a GM running fifth edition, what are you going, are you going to take any of this? Are you going to let it stew? Are you going to try and play test it with perhaps us? I mean, how, as a, you know, to fellow GMs that are looking at this feeling overwhelmed or frustrated or confused or don't even know where to start. What, what do you recommend to them? Great segue. Because implementing new rules is really hard. Change is scary and it can be overwhelming often. When we look at rules and we get excited as a DM, it's really easy to say, I want to implement everything from Tasha's. I want to implement all of this. I love this. All of it's so cool. Um, And it changes the player's experience at your table. And it's really important to remember that. I'm so excited to implement XYZ rule. I want to make sure that the players are comfortable with implementing this rule so for instance inspiration on a natural 20 and being able to share your inspiration if you already have a point i'm probably going to implement that right away because i think that's so fun that's something that i really really like that does mean that um i need to ask you my player and say is this a rule that you're interested in do you think that it devalues anything that you already have is is this going to change your niche as a character is it going to devalue any of the traits that you already have so for instance um in our other campaign that we're running and I play a sorcerer with lucky. If the DM says everyone gets inspiration on a natural 20. Well, I, I blew a whole feat on lucky. So does that change the way I interact with the game? I don't think it does. Like me personally, I'm not bothered by that. I think it's fun. I think that more people are coming to the table with inspiration and we should all be re-rolling more often. 
And if I was a player who had Lucky as a feat and the DM said to us, hey, I want to implement natural 20s, give you inspiration and you can share your inspiration with others. And it's always going to reset at the end of the night or at the beginning of a long rest. Rules is written on our our, kind of rules is written. Um, And I, the player, say, but I have Lucky that changes my build. Then at that point, it's on the DM to say, hey, let's player let's pull aside and let's talk about how we might respec your character um in a way that makes you feel like you've you've really efficiently used all of the traits that you're trying to give this character um and i think that that is something that we should always be falling back on is having that conversation with the character the player and saying what does your character need for you to feel like they are unique and fit this niche that you want and satisfy what you want out of this game and it's really easy uh, to have that conversation and then have the player say, well, you know, I'd really love to be a cleric. I really built this wrong. This isn't what I want. Now that I've played with this character a little bit, I want something different. Cool, player. Let's sit down and talk about how that change happens for your character and what it looks like and how it impacts the story. So this is an op- this is a huge opportunity for us as DMs to say, let's test something. I want to try this out for three weeks. I want to put this into our session from now on. And if you have a problem, let me know. Or I want to try this out for the next month. Let me know at the end of four sessions if you want to keep this rule, if you want to drop it. Like this is a this is a great time for that. Um, and I think that that's kind of exciting to like try something new and different with the group within the safe space confines of a group that you've established trust with and that you feel comfortable talking to. So I, I think this is an exciting opportunity. You can imp- I'm probably going to implement these piecemeal. I'm going to be picking things, picking and choosing things. Um, as I get familiar with the language uh, and once I'm comfortable enough with the language and think that um, it would benefit my party, then I'm going to reach out and say, here are the rules that I'm thinking about implementing. Uh, The other layer that kind of complicates this a little bit for our group, of course, is that my spouse is the other DM who runs the weekly games. We go back and forth. And often when we change rules, we try to do it unanimously so that the two main DMs run their games the same way. We have a couple of things that we rule differently consistently. Uh, and that's okay as long as the party knows what to expect. But when, um, you know, when I rule that you can use an illusion to become completely invisible and he says, absolutely not, rules is written, rules is intended, no. And here's, you know, the justification to back it up that kind of pulls the rug on the players a little bit. And that's one of the reasons that we really want to make sure we're having that conversation in advance and we're being consistent. And sometimes in the moment we make a ruling and then later go, I disagree with that. Actually, you know, Phantasmal Force should not be able to make you invisible. I allowed it once. I won't be allowing it again. Thanks for bringing this to our attention. Let me know if you have a problem with that and you'd like to choose a different spell in its place. Um, so that's a very long-winded way to say I'm going to cherry pick some of these rules and start talking to my party and implementing them little by little and leave as much space as possible for the group to say, I love this new rule. Let's keep it. Or, hey, it seems like everyone else really likes this new rule. I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel good. What can we do that might make this more fun for me again? Because something that's happened has really changed it for me. So I want to, I want to like really empower that conversation with DMs and players. And if you're a player and you see UA and, and you think like, I'd love for my DM to implement this, start the conversation from the player side. It doesn't have to be the DM bringing all of these to the party. It's the DM who ultimately determines the ruling, but there's this interim stage where the player can say, hey, I want to talk about natural 20s giving us inspiration. What do you think? Yeah, and coming from your 
your perspective, because you're currently in the middle of a campaign. We all have our characters. We've all created them. But if someone is looking to start a new campaign, because this is character origins specifically, listen, if you do have players out there that are like, hey, I really want to build an orc like this, or I want a gnome like this with this background, you know, definitely I would I would leave that open for discussion. Uh, But I mean, what what are your thoughts for a GM that's like, I've been running 5e and I don't want to change anything. I like it as it is. I mean, should, should they change? Five. That's true. I don't think you have to. I think that you should play whatever your table wants to play, even if it's Pathfinder, right? Like, play whatever you want. Like, go whatever direction you want to go. This is a rule set that's intended to build a collaborative storytelling experience between you and three to five other consenting adults or, you know, children with parents' permission, like, kind of a thing. And I think, uh, like, if this, if you look at the UA and you're like, oh, this isn't it for me. And sometimes when you see new rules, that that knee-jerk reaction of, I don't like this, um, it's really hard for us. It, as a human, it's really hard for us to shake that. So you really have to, like, let yourself have that knee-jerk, oh, I don't like this, and then go, okay, why? Why don't I like this? Is it um, because it makes me feel like I have less of a grasp on the rule set? Does it make me feel less empowered to make decisions because it's undermined something that I specifically was relying on? Like what, let, like pick it apart. Like what is it that you do or don't like uh, so that you can determine like, because maybe at the end of the day you go, I don't like this. I thought through it. I read through it. We play tested it once and it's not for me. I'm going back to playing fifth edition. Um, and then you go back to it and that's great. That's totally fine. I don't think that it should be mandatory for anyone. Although it should be, if you're running games, especially if you're running games professionally, really, really clear which rules you're using and not using um, before people enter your paid game. Uh, to be fair, D&D running a GM or playing D&D 5th edition is very complex. There are a lot of rules to keep track of. You know, you know, it is not a simple game. And if you feel like you have a pretty good grasp on it and your players are having a good time, and you don't want to overcomplicate things. You just don't have the bandwidth to deal with anything new or changes. Then don't just leave it. Just leave it. I think that's the idea is that this is just supposed to enhance. It's not supposed to change. If you're already solid and happy with what you have. Uh, I like your idea of cherry picking and taking just what you want. Um, I, I really like that. And I think that's kind of. That was when we watched. I watched the video. They were talking about Chris Perkins mentioned that the fifth edition they feel is one of the best ones yet. Now I feel like all game developers say, <laughs> of course they're going to say that. Current, yeah. This current edition that we just came out with, right? This version is the best one yet. Well, I think you specifically be. said we did something really smart and listened to the players. I was like cracking up. I like rewound yes. it three times to listen to it. Cause I was just like, I just like marketing wrote that. Yeah. That's okay. Good for you for saying it. That's where you're going to get your best ideas and thoughts and everything are the players, the people actually at the table playing this over and over and over. And they felt like fifth edition had some of the best elements of any of the editions and they wanted to keep those and they wanted to, you know, he did make a point of saying, but nothing's perfect and they'll never get a perfect game, but how, how can they get close to it or continuously, uh, enhance it or make it you know improvements which i think they kind of made a point of saying that they're never going to stop 
kind of release it? Is that what it sounded like to you when I was watching the video? Yeah, I think it's going to keep going. And I think something that they they've done here with this format that I think deserves a lot of praise ultimately is that they're thinking ahead and they're building this in a way that's like the existing modules you bought in the 10 years between 2014 when fifth edition was released and 2024 when one D is released those adventure modules will still be relevant it sounds like the rework is going to be the dmg and the player's handbook and the player's handbook well the dmg specifically uh they're reworking chris Parkinson said he was reworking to make it easier for new dms and like yes bring like let's have more people feel more comfortable and more empowered to jump in and run a game that's what we want is for everyone to get a chance to experience this thing that we think is super fun and uh the fact that they're building it in an open-ended way so that as new classes and new races and new abilities and new feats are added to the game, everything will continue to be relevant um, without having to like the example they used was like meta magic or um, magic initiate feat gives you the ability to choose spells from X, Y, and Z class list. Well, then artificer gets added. Now they have to write another feat for artificer, right? Like writing this in a way that's a little more forward thinking is something that as a person who's bought a lot of books, I'm pretty appreciative of, Uh, And the changes they have on the horizon, like everything they talked about, uh, all the way down to like virtual tabletop and the acquisition of D&D Beyond, like I'm really excited. I think it's really cool. I do think it's a lot of uh, Monopoly, right? Like it's a lot of like one person running all the things, (laughs) but like there will always be indie developers who are making the maps and making the VTTs and creating new ways for you to engage with this rule set that was established by Wizards of the Coast. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that this is, I think this is a really positive direction. Yeah. Looking, looking towards the future. I think they said 2023 is when they're really planning for a lot of this to start coming out. I think so, more of the UA will start rolling out. And then yeah. I, I think 2024 is the release, the scheduled release for the new player's handbook and the DMG. Yeah, and they made a point of saying that they're going to have those constant surveys going out. They're going to be uh, listening and implementing as, and they said it will. that will determine the release date is once they start getting feedback that everything's looking good, then they'll move on to the next step. I mean, they're going to they're gonna really pace it based on uh, what the players and GMs are saying, um, their ideas and thoughts. Uh, we should definitely do in the future a podcast on virtual tabletop because they did talk about that too. And that's, that's a whole nother discussion, yeah. but um, they recently, one of their D and D beyond um, in, the person on Instagram, I don't know their manager, Instagram manager did a Q and a, and someone asked about their new virtual tabletop system that they kind of teased, right? They didn't, they didn't yeah. show us a whole lot. They teased it. And she said that it is, it's coming down the road, but they don't really have any updates and they don't have anything. I mean, I think it's definitely going to be pushed later. Um, I'm excited for it. I like your idea uh, or your suggestion about how they have like independent ones too. But um, I, you know, I, I think it would make sense under one house having that's where people are playing. You know, a lot of them are online. So I, I could see, you know, for the business side, I, I, I understand where they're trying to go with it it's smart it's like if this yeah. is what your players are doing yeah then do yeah. it yeah like go there be the person who facilitates that it's nice to imagine that everything would be a kind of all-in-one ecosystem the big benefit i think we see in other vtts that are 
a little more system agnostic is that you can kind of hop in and like, okay, we play, you know, we play D and D most of the time, but now we're running a Pathfinder game. Okay. Well now we're running a, an avatar game and you know, now we're doing, you know, like you can continue to like put other things in there. And when you have everything bound within just D and D that is a little more limiting. And I think there are a lot of other TTRPGs that like, there are a ton more TTRPGs out there and we should have lots of space to use them. But does that mean that I'm going to have a D&D Beyond subscription and a Roll20 subscription and a Foundry purchase? Probably. And that's, and that's where, you know, that could be a whole discussion too, is the price, the price limiting out people so they don't have access to these kind of tools. And so, yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe, you know, let us know if you want us to do a talk about running games online and, and what programs are out there. And I, you know, there's lots of options and choices. And yeah. If you're looking for more D and D content, tabletop RPG discussion or writing advice, head us up on YouTube over there at merely NPCs. We've got some pretty exciting stuff coming your way. And Sarah has something extra special coming this fall. Yes, I have been invited to speak on a panel at the rivers of ink writing conference uh in eastern washington it'll be in october um and i will just be discussing traditional publishing versus indie indie publishing and the climate in 2022 with publishing um so the writers that follow us or aspiring authors um i will be uh giving discussion on that i don't know how much i can reveal about it and if it's possibly recorded i you know i will give an update for sure, um, after the discussion, because I'll be discussing um, the publishing industry and current climate with other authors. Um, and I think it'll be it'll be a good discussion. So I'd love to share kind of my feedback from it. We'll put a link to that in uh, the description below or in the description on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And, you know, if we get ambitious, there might be a link to it on the website as well. Well, it's been really fun talking about 1D&D, all the playtest material, uh, the feedback, the community, a lot of discussions, and I'm excited to see what happens next with it. So we've been out of initiative, but we're going to get back into it. So go out there, roll some dice, tell some stories, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Thanks for listening to Out of Initiative, a podcast from Merely NPCs. For more from Sarah and Morgan, follow them on TikTok at MerelyNPCs or visit them online at MerelyNPCs.com.